If you wish to become a complete and wise leader, you must embrace a larger view of the Force. Welcome, everyone. My name is Devor, and you are listening to episode 27 of A Larger View of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. A reminder, as always, check out the earlier episodes of this show if you're new here, and make sure to subscribe to keep up with new episodes of the show as they come out. Today's episode is the first of my two-part look at Star Wars Visions. Originally, I was going to talk about all the Visions in one whole episode, (laughs) <laughs> but then I started preparing and I was like doing the mental math. It was one point it was on Saturday and I was like watching the episodes. And I'm like, okay, well they're nine episodes spend like 10 to 15 minutes per episode. Right. <laughs> started adding it up. And I was like, no, we split this in two. Oh, that's three hours. Everything's fine. Exactly. <laughs> so I decided to do two episodes, the first ever two parter for the show. So for this episode, we'll be talking about the first four episodes of Star Wars Visions, Mm -hmm. namely The Duel, Tatooine Rhapsody, The Twins, and The Village Bride. But before I get into that, I want to introduce the guest who will be accompanying me on this journey through Visions. You've already heard her voice, so (laughs) you already know she's here. (laughs) She is one-fourth of Bohemian Geek Studies. Mm -hmm. She's also a co-host on yet another Star Wars podcast. Jedi Master, Rebel Scum Collaborator, Colleen McMillan. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Devor. This is amazing. I have not really guested on a podcast ever, except for my very first appearance on Bohemian Geek Studies. And that's kind of how I got recruited to that podcast. <laughs> I was pinch want- hitting. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear that story, actually, of how Bohemian Geek Studies came to be, because I've been listening mm-hmm. to you guys for a while and, you know, when it comes to, like, having guests on the show, there's usually, like, two categories for me. So once they'll be in one category, there's, like, an episode idea that I have. And I'm like, okay, like, this might be a good one to have a guest on. And then I try to think about, you know, who, who would make a good fit. Mm-hmm. And then there's another category of, like, there are people I want to have on the show. And then how can I slot them in? Like, what can I, like, what can, the, what's the pretense? Mm-hmm. And you have very much been followed in the second category. Oh, yay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, wow. I, the, yeah, I've been one, and you've been on my sort of like mental guest list. Oh yeah, um, I'm so and so I love listening to your pod too. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, Demar asked me to go on his pod. <laughs> yeah, so when Visions rolled around, I was like, well, of course I'm going to do a Visions episode, and I'm like, well, it's Star Wars, like, but then it's also anime. I'm like, wait, I here it is. <laughs> this is the pretense. I have found it. It's perfect. Yeah, it's fantastic for me. Like, someone wants to hear me talk about anime, I am in. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm I'm really glad that you agreed to come on for this. Yes, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, so am I. So before we actually get into Visions, or part of Visions, rather, as with all the guests that I have on, I wanted you to talk a little bit about your journey into Star Wars, how you became a fan, how that fandom evolved, then, of course, how you got into, I guess, what we call content creating, which is a phrase I don't like, but... <laughs> 
right. <laughs> is an umbrella term. And maybe since it's relevant to what we're going to be talking about for the next two episodes, maybe talk a little bit about your background with anime. Okay, excellent. All right. Well, what should I start with? Let's start with Star Wars. Since I was young when that first happened, I was probably about seven years old. And my first, like, kind of hit or miss run with Star Wars was the VHS tapes that my brother had and was obsessed with. And we would watch them all the freaking time. Like, all the time. He was obsessed. And I was less obsessed, but I would watch with him because I like sci-fi and I liked horror movies, even when I was very young. (laughs) So if I got scared, it was still okay. I would still watch again with him. So that's kind of my origin with Star Wars originally. And I've always enjoyed it, always liked it. I am like a hero's journey nut. I love a mm-hmm. hero's journey. So Star Wars was basically tailor fit for me. I didn't become an Uber fan until the podcast that I really first started listening to podcasts was Binge Mode, which is part oh, of okay. The Ringer. I, wa- I listened to their Harry Potter podcasts and then I started listening to Star Wars and I was like, oh, I guess I should watch everything <laughs> <laughs> if I want to like play along and listen along to all the podcasts. I watched all of Clone Wars and was like, oh, this is way better than I originally had thought. I maybe got through the movie and some of the season one episodes when I was younger. I was like, I can't do this. Like, I just <laughs> I'm not engaged. And then by season three of that, I was like, oh, hey, Mortis Arc, what is this? And I was in it. I was totally like, okay, I can keep going. And then I started watching Star Wars Rebels. And that was it. It was over. (laughs) I love Rebels. I am a Rebels pusher. I will tell everyone I meet to watch Star Wars Rebels. Whether they want me to or not, I will. (laughs) And that is kind of my segue into podcasting. Uh, The friend of mine, Sarah, who is the creator, the originator of Bohemian Geek Studies, she had recruited me to proofread one of their outlines. And I was like, well, I can do that. I was a friggin' English major and I have my master's in English. I'm like, yeah, I can totally proofread something. That'd be fun. And we started with Matilda. She needed a co-host for one episode. So I hopped in and then we segued into Clone Wars when the seventh season of that was coming out. And that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of. We did a episode by episode breakdown of that season of Clone Wars. And that is basically how I got into podcasting. And then more people joined our team. We have Anders who really, really loves Star Wars too. And we started to do yet another Star Wars podcast with our friend Daniel. And it's just like, okay, I guess I'm podcasting about Star Wars now. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been the last thing I thought I was podcasting about. And then anime kind of came back into my life because of COVID. Like I've always enjoyed anime. I think I started watching in the late 90s with Cowboy Bebop, Neon Genesis Evangelion, a couple other more obscure titles because my brother, my brother is really a gateway drug for me, apparently, when it comes to content, I suppose. We, he made me watch all this kind of crazy anime and I was like, okay, this is, this is really fun. And then for some reason, it just fell off my radar for a while. And then COVID hit. You're at home. You need something playing in the background or something to watch when you can't go anywhere. And my friends like said, okay, you need to watch Attack on Titan. 
and I had been avoiding it forever. It was a manga series I was familiar with because I worked at Barnes and Noble and had to shelve manga. And it's about giants eating people. And I have a really weird eating people thing. I'm like, no, it terrifies me. No, I can't. And then I binged like three seasons of this anime show and was like, okay, I need more. And then it kind of snowballed from there into me binge watching, I think, eight animes <laughs> since January of this year. <laughs> I'm currently on Naruto Shippuden, and that is long AF. I don't know if we're okay to swear on here. So. Oh, go ahead. Just, okay. yeah, let it, it fly. It might happen because I do have a pumpkin beer right now. I tend to have a beer while I'm podcasting, so it could happen. I might drop an F-bomb here or there. And then I found out that Star Wars Disney was doing an anime series, and I was over the moon. I was so excited. And that's what brings us here today. I binged the whole thing in one night and was very impressed by it. And I can't wait for us to talk about it. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to talk about it. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'm really interested to see because I don't have much experience with anime. Like the only anime that I really ever like consumed to any extent in my life was Dragon Ball Z as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. is really my only like exposure to proper anime. <laughs> yes. So like one of the things, like one of the reasons I had you on for this topic was like, I want somebody who has that perspective mm-hmm. uh, and can kind of bring that into the discussion. I will say though, I do want to do a little plug for Bohemian Geek Studies. Cause you guys at the time of this recording and at the time that this episode is going to come out, you guys are on season four of Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. You've been doing a, a deep dive of the entire yes. show. Mm-hmm. Longtime listeners of this show will know that I also have a certain affinity for Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> this is perfect. Like, this is perfect. Everything's Yes. <laughs> and folks, let me tell you, there are a lot of podcasts out there that talk about Star Wars Rebels. I've not listened to all of them, naturally. But even so, I can guarantee you, none of them are as horny as what you're going to get on Bohemian Geek Studies. <laughs> that is very true. We are, I mean, there is going to be one time during this podcast where I will definitely be sent to horny jail, but that's fine. Yes. <laughs> there was, there was all the thirst in that Rebels conversation. It's, yes. for, it's for everybody. Kanan. Yes. <laughs> Callus, yes. Thrawn, Maul, yes. Ularin in one episode. Yes. Like, <laughs> everything and everybody. Go listen to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So on that note, let's dig into the topic du jour and get into Star Wars Visions. Yes. So we are going to start off with the very first of our four, and that is the duel. Mm-hmm. So first things first. Beyond what's actually in the duel, and of course, we'll talk about what happens in that episode. I love this as an intro episode. Yes. As the first episode, if you're watching these in order. Mm -hmm. Because the entire aesthetic of the episode, the music, the fact it's black and white, the animation style, all that, it immediately cues you into the fact that this is something that's adjacent to but different from the Star Wars you know. Yes. Very like I felt distinct. That, yeah, I felt that in the opening minutes. Mm-hmm. And so just first things first, I love that this is the first episode because it's, it immediately just tells you from everything that you 
see and hear that this is going to be different. Mm -hmm. And perhaps in the second episode, we may talk a little bit about the decision to end with Akakiri, because I think think that's an interesting decision. (laughs) That is one of my chief hangups about Visions is how they chose to end it. Even though I do like Akakiri and we'll talk about it. Yes, I... mm. (laughs) Yeah, it was a choice to end with Akakiri. Definitely a choice. It was a downer choice. I was kind of surprised they went with it. I really was too. But that is for episode two. Or Mm -hmm. episode 28, (laughs) but part two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The duel. So basically the duel opens with, we get to see this little village out in the distance. And we see this figure, the Ronin, showing up to this village. Mm -hmm. And he is accompanied by <laughs> R5D56. Yes. Maybe the best droid to exist besides Chopper. Yes. The straw-hatted astromic droid. Yes. I love him. He's <laughs> more droids and hats. I need yes, this. Please. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, it's, it is really great. And so we see the two of them kind of roll into this village. And they stop at this one shop of the shopkeeper that's a Celestin mm-hmm. and he's just basically there getting tea kind of on his way basically this traveler who's kind of passing through yeah. and as he's there as he's kind of hanging around resting you have these raiders who show up at the village they basically come in this troop transport and they come through and the Celestin basically tells the Ronin that these guys are remnants of this old war And they kind of live nearby and they kind of raid the village and all that. Mm -hmm. Very rude. Yes, very much so. (laughs) And we get to see what happens there where basically the raiders kind of round up all the villagers. And I like the look of all of the different troopers. Yes, they're all very distinct. Yeah, yeah. It's really neat where like they're all clad to some degree in like stormtrooper type armor. Mm -hmm. But yeah, as you said, like, they all look different. Like, I think there's one guy who has, like, just the, like, the mouth part. Yeah, it looks like a jawbone. Yeah, exactly. Like, just that part of the helmet. Yeah, it's really, again, getting into, like, the look and the feel of this episode. Mm -hmm. They all seemed human, though. I think all of the raiders were human. Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty interesting, juxtaposed with all of the kind of bounty hunter protectors. Yes. So I want to talk about the bounty hunter protectors. (laughs) Yeah, so these troopers basically run up the villagers, and one of them asks for the village chief, mm-hmm. and this kid stands up, basically, yes. and identifies himself as the chief, Yep. Um, and basically says that he's kind of been appointed and is the one to kind of negotiate with the raiders. As they're talking and all that, like, there's this shot that happens where there's basically like a cutaway from what's happening in the village center or the village square mm-hmm. to the, like this guy sleeping. I think that's the boy's dad, who's probably the real leader, and he might be sick. Okay, that yeah, was it was takeaway. Yeah, it, it, it was an odd shot. It's just kind of yes. in there, mm-hmm. and then they just kind of move on, and you never like circle back to that or what's mm-hmm. going on there. But anyway. Yeah, so, you know, the, the trooper and the kid are kind of having back and forth. And then the kid basically calls on these, as you said, these bounty hunters, mm-hmm. who are basically these guardians of the town, to attack the raiders. And then we get to meet all of the, this, this kind of motley crew that is guarding this village. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I got to ask, who are, your, who are your favorites? Who are the standout among this, oh. like, rogues gallery? 
Oh my god. Um, I love the HK droid. Or no, it's not. He's not an HK. He's a protocol droid that's kind of like... <laughs> he's great. The guy with the big bug eyes. Oh, yeah. He's my favorite. I yeah, love he's... him. He's fantastic. Because it's like AP5, but with a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. There's yeah. a mental image. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he could move a little faster, which is fine. He's probably been retrofitted to move faster. Mm-hmm. And I also love the trend ocean. He looked amazing he did his movement was crazy good i noticed on this rewatch that the droid is being piloted by a doug yes (laughs) i hadn't noticed that before i and i was watching very closely because i was taking my notes i'm like oh my gosh it's not just a droid it is a doug in a droid the doug in the probe droid is a great one Mm -hmm. i love that that's a great touch yeah so yeah the doug the trandoshan who's got the swords Mm-hmm. he's really great yeah the uh the, the droid as i mentioned the droid is my favorite with like the gatling gun, the gatling gun yes. <laughs> he's amazing <laughs> he really is and then even i don't think he's i don't think they're in the initial scene that we get i think it's a little bit later but there's the tuscan also yes he comes out of nowhere and he, he's got his Gaddafi stick and he's like he does the sound effect of the <laughs> tuscan i'm like oh yeah they are going for it with the short <laughs> yes. they really are <laughs> Every single species that could be a bounty hunter that's protecting this village is. Is a bounty hunter, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I really like all of these town guards. Mm-hmm. I they they're a great bunch. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great it's another example of like, yeah, this kind of like fusion of the familiar of Star Wars again with these kind of Japanese and these anime elements, like with the mm-hmm. swords and all that. Yes. Yeah, I really love that. And they're basically fighting off these raiders and you know, <laughs> having some success and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're and good. Then, they're good at what they do. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, they are, to their credit, really able to push back. But then, mm. from the transport, <laughs> emerges the leader of these raiders. Uh, and that is the Sith bandit Karu. Yes. And amazing. No amazing. Notes. I love the music. Mm-hmm. That accompanies her, it like it immediately reminded me of the Cloud Riders music from Solo. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, she sort of emerges from this transport and then goes out and then busts out, as mm-hmm. we, we saw in the previews and we knew this was coming, the umbrella <laughs> lightsaber. Yes. yes. And it could have looked so cheesy, but instead, because she has such a presence and obviously is very evil. It looks amazing with her. It's kind of like a parasol. She reminds me so much of Oren Ishii from Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. And it's Lucy Liu who's voicing this character. So I'm like, I wonder if they took inspiration from that. Just like her her movements at first are like very demure. And she comes down with this parasol umbrella, like very beautiful. But then she is deadly. She's going to kick your ass. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I like the look of her even before she derobes later on where she's mm-hmm. got like like the cloak and then part of it covering her face. Yes. Yeah, it's a very it's a very kind of dark, mysterious look to her. Mm-hmm. And then she basically gets into the fight and starts taking out our erstwhile bounty hunters. Yes. And um you know, she takes on our our favorite droid and basically <laughs> Chops down his Gatling gun. Yes, so sad. Yeah. Oh. 
And we then, love the droids. Like we want all the droids to be fine. <laughs> yes, we do. All the droids. There's so many droids. There's so many wonderful droids and visions. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we will talk about all of them. Yes. And they're kind of the highlight almost. The lightsabers and the droids are very much the highlight of Star Wars visions. Yeah, I would totally agree with you on that. Yeah, I think you're right. And they're very much the standouts. And yeah, so Koru basically is kind of slicing and dicing through all these bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. There's the, she has the confrontation with the Trandoshan where she basically <laughs> impales Ooh. him. Yeah, tough look for our guy. <laughs> he tries. Yeah. He tries really hard. He really does. Like he's, he, he goes in very confident mm-hmm. and then he's basically like, run. Yeah. He's like, don't just know, stop. <laughs> yeah. So she's kind of cutting her way through all of them. And then basically what we see happening is as all that fighting is going on, basically back up at the hill where the Ronin is with our, with our shopkeeper, mm-hmm. he's just kind of watching at the distance, not really kind of getting involved. Mm-hmm. And then what we see happen is that basically in the midst of all this fighting, there's a blaster bolt that hits the shop and it mm-hmm. kind of damages the droid and he's taken out. Mm-hmm. And like, oh no, that's no <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> unacceptable. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, on the one hand, his droid gets taken out. And then once Kuru gets involved and he sees the red lightsaber and he sees that there's a Sith. Mm-hmm. then he basically decides at that point that he's going to get involved in the fight. Yes. Up to that point, he's really just kind of observing. He's not really doing anything. And he tells the shopkeeper to fix up his droid by the time that the teapot boils, mm-hmm. which is, as we will see, a great gag that has great payoff. Mm-hmm. At the, yeah. At the end of the episode. And he basically goes down to confront Koru and we get this great moment where she kind of unsheaths her lightsaber out of the the parasol, the umbrella, Mm -hmm. and she goes in for a kill blow and he stops it (laughs) with the force, Mm -hmm. which is great. The way he just kind of grabs onto the, onto the lightsaber. Yes. And yeah, that's at that moment that, she discovers, and basically we discover that he is Force-sensitive. Because I don't think it was any indication up to that point. No, not really. His yeah. calmness kind of exudes like this natural talent that you might expect he would be adept with the Force, but nothing overt. Like, he's just a guy traveling with his droid. Right, exactly. And so she basically assumes at that point that he's a Jedi, mm-hmm. and then he unsheaths his lightsaber... And we get to see that it is a red blade. Mm-hmm. And he has this great line where it says, unfortunately, I am not a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Yes. Interesting word choice. It's a really interesting word choice. That really grabbed me. The use of the unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I think like, obviously there is up to this point, there is this air of mystery around him. Mm-hmm. But I think once you get that... Like, that adds even another layer. Like, now you're really interested about, like, what do you mean, unfortunately, you're not a Jedi? Right. Because there's immediately, there, there's a tease there about his background. Yeah. I love a backstory. I love a tragic backstory. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, like, one of my feelings about this scene is that, like, I kind of wish we had this reveal in the episode. 
Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that there was any way to do it because obviously it was included in the teasers and then you have Rowan in the tie-in book. Yep. But I it would have been. <laughs> yeah. I'm really eager to start that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would have been great if there'd been some way for us like to see for the first time as we're watching the episode. Mm-hmm. See him bust out the lightsaber and the red light, the red blade being this reveal. Right. Yeah, I, I wish it had not been in the trailer. Although I know why they used it. It's a very iconic shot that would yeah. draw viewers in. But I think there were plenty of shots from each of the short films that would have worked just as well. Right. I agree. Yeah. Because it would have been this total like. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere. Like, you just totally like flip it on your on its head. And you would be at a point where like you have no idea what's coming next. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then the two of them end up dueling. And they wind up basically on this log that's kind of floating down a river mm-hmm. which has real revenge of the sith vibes yes yeah very much feels like mustafar mm-hmm. and basically as they're dueling and then koru basically tells him to drop his weapon and surrender then we get we get to see the payoff of the droid teapot gag in the distance yes. mm-hmm. where basically once he's Fixed up the droid. I like that the droid is plugged into the gonk droid. Yes, I love a gonk droid. (laughs) Sucker for a gonk droid. (laughs) Yes, I love it. I just actually, before before I started recording this, I was watching some Rebels and I was doing, I finished the episode with Sabine and Ketsu Mm -hmm. (laughs) with a great gonk droid appearance in that one. The gonk droid spy. (laughs) Yes, the courier. He's so perfect. (laughs) <laughs> yeah so love me a good gonk droid mm-hmm. but anyway yeah he, so he basically gets he's finished repaired he's powered up the teapot boils and then he basically goes on the attack very very <laughs> chopper-esque actually yes. mm-hmm. chopper Lots with the two guns <laughs> and uh, what was it? Uh, i watched that episode this evening too uh, brothers of the broken horn yeah yeah so he basically goes on this tear through the village and kind of takes out the remaining troopers, the remaining raiders, mm-hmm. and then sends one of the missiles basically <laughs> flying towards. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love his reveal of like his freaking smartwatch. Yes. <laughs> he just shows that he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Good job, Ronan. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Basically revealing that it was all a setup. Mm-hmm. And that he was basically like rope doping her essentially until, until the droid was ready. And so they basically then end up going down this waterfall Mm -hmm. and Ronan seems to basically disappear and she kind of goes down and the waterfall kind of parts to reveal this hidden chamber. It's kind of right underneath the waterfall. And she sees a red lightsaber yeah. that is there in the distance. And she thinks it's the Ronin. And then she basically flies in and goes for the kill. But then it turns out basically to be a lightsaber that was put onto a statue. Mm-hmm. Basically it's a setup. And then he comes in from behind and delivers the the kill blow. Yeah. Which again, Amazing. another an, another great kind of setup there. Mm-hmm. Beautifully shot. That, yes. That whole sequence is great. I love a waterfall, especially like for Japanese cinema, cultural kind of symbolism. The waterfall, like going through a waterfall would be 
like a rite of passage or like a waterfall of truth, kind of how water can cleanse mm-hmm. you and cleanse your soul. She parted the water instead of being hit by the water. So she avoids any sort of ritualistic, like going through the water or passing through the water. And I thought that was interesting. I'm like, well, no, you're dead because you <laughs> you cheated, basically. Like you used the force and cheated your way into the secret temple, which you're supposed to go through the water to get to. Oh, that's a great catch. I like that. I like that symbolism. I did not know about that. They just did it. I'm like I said, I'm rewatching Naruto right now. They had a sequence with a waterfall and going into a secret temple and all these very powerful characters still have to go through the water. Like they can't just part the water and go through. Oh, wow. Part of the cleansing ritual and our girl, she missed that step. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. So I, I like that a lot. Yeah. That's a great point. Great observation there. And yeah, so she's taking, I mean, that's, and, and there's another, I think, I mean, again, I don't have much exposure to anime, but I do know it as something of an anime trope, which is like the sword kind of going through and the thing kind of mm-hmm. getting sliced in two and you seeing that. Yes. We actually get something like that in the last episode we're going to talk about yeah. in this episode. Mm-hmm. Something quite similar to that. So anyway, yeah, so Karu's taken out by the Ronin. And he returns to the village with her lightsaber mm-hmm. and all the villagers kind of gather in around him. And there's one kid who basically asks him, you know, are you a Jedi? Like we've heard stories about the Jedi mm-hmm. and then heroes. he, yeah, that they're heroes and all that. And then he takes out the lightsaber and shows them the red blade. Mm-hmm. And everyone's immediately, of course, on edge yeah shit another yeah (laughs) (laughs) another sith this is getting out of hand now there are two of them and then he basically breaks the lightsaber of koru and takes out the kyber crystal Mm -hmm. and then we get to see that he has a bunch of them (laughs) (laughs) almost like general grievous style like in his cloak (laughs) yes a fine addition to my collection He's been hunting. Like, he this really is, This is why we need that novel, because I'm sure we're going to get the story of he is a former Sith. He is a Sith hunter. Like, mm. <laughs> I think the only reason he saved this village also is because she revealed herself, <laughs> which is another problem for his character. But I mean, he saved them. Yeah. And then he's about to basically pocket this kyber crystal and then he instead gives it to the kid. Mm-hmm. And tells the kid to hold on to it and that it will ward off evil. Mm-hmm. Which again, that's another interesting line. Yes. Well, like what he means by that. Well, and then he leaves. So I guess it works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he's an evil character per se, but he definitely is in touch with the dark side. If he was a Sith, which the novel basically says that, yes, he's a former Sith. And yeah, it's, it's, He's a very interesting character. These are the kind of characters I like. I love Maul. (laughs) I love Maul. So this is definitely in that realm of fallen hero slash villain. Like, are we sure he's either one? He's like a gray Jedi. I know we're not supposed to talk about the gray Jedi, but he's he's kind of in that realm of we don't really know who he is or what his allegiance is to besides himself and his droid. 
Right. Yeah. I, that's another thing that this episode, I think, does really well. I think actually a bunch of these episodes do really well, which is in the very limited amount of time that they have to basically set up these worlds, set up these characters, but then also make you want to know more about them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think different episodes do that to different degrees. There are some that I definitely want to know more about. And then there are other characters I'm like, yeah, they're kind of one and done. And that's about it. But the Ronin is definitely in the category of a character you want to know more about. And thankfully we have more. Yes. (laughs) We have more about because there's a whole novel about him. I'm very excited for the novel. After I watch this, I'm like, oh, I am getting that book immediately. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, you do wonder about, you wonder about his past from this episode. You wonder about, as we sort of talked about and you kind of touched on, you wonder about his code, his morality, Mm -hmm. the fact that he doesn't get involved. He doesn't really care about these villagers until the Sith shows up. And so you wonder about his motivations. You wonder about why he's doing what he's doing, Mm -hmm. what his ultimate goal is and such. Right. What's his mission? Like, what is his mission statement? We don't, we still don't really know besides the fact that he probably takes out Sith when he finds them. Yeah. And we don't really even know, we don't even get a sense from this. I'm sure the novel, of course, will go into more detail about this, but you don't even get a sense of what that is a means to, Mm -hmm. to what extent that is a function of him having some sort of moral objection to the Sith or to what extent it is some sort of basically wanting to take out the competition and yeah, exactly what is behind that. Yes. We need a motivation. Please give us, give us some motivation. (laughs) The characters need it. Right. And I mean, like even beyond, even beyond just like the mystery of the Ronin himself, like one of the things that I like about this episode, I was, should have mentioned this at the top before we started is that, you know, some of the episodes will give you certain cues as to, when roughly within the Star Wars timeline as we know it, they're happening. Yes. So you will get some nod, let's say, to Order 66, or you'll see battle droids, or you see stormtroopers, mm-hmm. or things like that. This is one of the episodes, and I think there are others also within Visions, that feels very much timeless. Mm-hmm. It feels out of... It, it's really hard to place within the Star Wars timeline. Right. It's like, this could have been happening... During the Galactic Empire, mm-hmm. it could be in that yeah. Return of the Jedi Force Awakens. Because there be is pop- the the Vader mural in the background. So there's at least, we they know who Vader is. Like, we at least know yeah. that. But, at, I mean, it could be way post-Vader. So we don't really yeah. know. Yeah, it could be right after Rise of Skywalker. It could be like hundreds of years after the Rise of Skywalker. Like, we have no idea. Mm-hmm. And I like that. I like how the the way that they animated it lends it that quality to the kind of scratchy screen. Mm. It looks like an old school movie. And this is probably the most Akira Kurosawa out of all of the shorts. I mean, there's a couple that have that flavor, but this one very much feels like you're watching something from him. Like it could be Yojimbo very easily. It's, just so artfully done. Sorry, Thrawn, I'm stealing your lines. <laughs> it. I just enjoyed that it was black and white, except for the pops of color. Yeah, and they uh, used the main Star Wars colors, like they used green, blue, and red, pretty much predominantly. Yeah, agree. I think yeah, everything they did with the animation and the color work on this episode was just spot on. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, as I said at the top, it's a great kind of gateway into the project of Visions, what it's doing in terms of the way that it's it's playing with Star Wars, but then remixing it and taking it in all these new and unfamiliar directions. Mm -hmm. Especially for a Western audience who might not be as familiar with anime or Kurosawa or any sort. I mean, they actually are because Western directors borrowed heavily from Kurosawa. So they are familiar with some of the tropes, like the Magnificent Seven out of the Seven Samurai kind of thing. So we notice these tropes and we're like, oh, is this a Japanese thing or is this a Western thing? It's like, no, y'all, it's a Japanese thing. <laughs> right, right. And now we're finally seeing it in Star Wars like this through the Asian cultural lens is just wonderful to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a great way to basically make that subtext text of Star Wars because, of course, Japanese culture and Kurosawa were always a big part of George's influence in making Star Wars, mm-hmm. but it was always kind of in the background and kind of refracted in all these ways. And then mm-hmm. getting getting to see it kind of front and center in the way that Visions does and this episode in particular does, I think is really refreshing. Mm-hmm. It was a great, I hate to say palate cleanser, but <laughs> it's so different from anything else that we had seen in Star Wars that starting with this episode was perfect. Like it launches you into the rest of the short films very yeah. easily. Yeah. So it's a, it's a beyond just a great episode in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It's a great introductory episode to this anthology. Yes. So yeah, that is the duel. Mm-hmm. The first episode. So now we move on to episode number two, <laughs> which takes a very different direction. Yes. <laughs> very, scratch. very different. We get record scratch indeed. And that is Tatooine Rhapsody. My first note under Tatooine Rhapsody is just just says more Order 66 trauma. Yes, all of the trauma. (laughs) And this will be a continuing theme through Visions. (laughs) Yes, it really is. (laughs) Order 66, the the well that Star Wars, that's just bottomless for Star Wars. Padawans that were lost... (laughs) will always be good like this it is something that is very intriguing people can connect with it easily and for this episode in particular this is the only one that really uses recognizable canon characters yes and i think it uses them fairly well i it was kind of strange when you said we were doing the first four two of these are in my top three Mm -hmm. and the other two are in my bottom three. <laughs> so it's really weird that we're covering it that way. I'm like, oh dear, they really like stacked these episodes in a strange way for me. They really, yes. Yeah, so basically the premise of Tatooine Rhapsody is we get to see first this, as I mentioned, Order 66 trauma. We see this flashback of this Jedi Padawan named Jay, who's basically running away from the execution of Order 66. And he ends up, we get to see him basically get escape and basically get discovered by Geezer, who I did not clock this when I watched the episode. Mm -hmm. I only realized subsequently that he is in fact a hut. 
Yep, he's a hut. Mm-hmm. I did not get that when watching it. Oh, yes. I immediately went to the Clone Wars and I was like, is this stinky? Like, for real? <laughs> I don't, I don't think it is, although it could be the wayward, wayward son of Jabba the Hutt, although you would hope he wouldn't execute his own son, but the Huts suck, so he might. I, I wouldn't put it past Jabba, honestly. Exactly. Like, you're an embarrassment as a son, and now you can die. Like, wow. Oh my god, I would love that confirmation that Geezer is Rada. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, I was like, please don't kill your son. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Sorry. I'm going to be thinking about that. <laughs> I had to go there. Plus, it's Bobby Moynihan, so I'm like, yeah, that fits. <laughs> oh, goodness. But at any rate. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. So, no, no, do not apologize for that. <laughs> Um, so we're taking to the present day, basically, where Jay is now a member of a band called Star Waver. Mm-hmm. And we get to see them performing. And you have him basically at lead vocals. You have Geezer, who is the hut, as we mentioned. And then you've got Lon, who's basically the drummer. He's this alien with three torsos. Mm-hmm. Very strange design. Like a Deveronian, but three heads? Yeah. Okay. The three upper bodies. Yeah, very strange. <laughs> and then two droids kind of rounding up. You got Curdy, who is basically on guitar, and then you got V5, who's basically doing like audio sound, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And we get to see them basically performing at a venue. They're doing their usual act. And who do they get interrupted by? Mm-hmm. None other than Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Voiced by Tamara Morrison. Hello. <laughs> yes, I really enjoyed that. In, mm-hmm. Yeah, getting to see in, in the English version, yeah, getting Tamara Morrison back as Boba Fett is, is always a treat. And yeah, so we find out that he is after Geezer, who is wanted by Jabba. Mm-hmm. And basically what we come to learn over the course of this basically is that the band is basically being chased around by Boba and his gang, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. They've basically been unable to finish any of their sets because every time they end up somewhere and they start playing, Boba shows up and yeah. chases them away. Well, you have a freaking hut on base. You're going to eventually. Exactly. <laughs> it's going to get to Boba. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, I feel like we do have to comment on Chibi Boba, who mm-hmm. is delightful. <laughs> Yes, this is a very chibi style, which threw me at first. I was like, why are they all so small? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then when I was like, oh, they're all small. That's just the style the anime is going with. I was much better with it. <laughs> right. And yeah, we basically get to see them. Like they, they escape on their ship. They get chased by Slave One. Mm-hmm. And they get taken down. And then Boba ends up capturing geezer or he basically i think surrenders yeah and he gets carter away back to slave one and then jay goes out there to try and confront him and he takes out his lightsaber or Mm -hmm. the the hilt of his lightsaber and he's basically standing there ready to attack Mm -hmm. and like he can't do it he basically freezes up yeah 
Yeah, and it's a great moment because I didn't write down exactly what Bulba's line is, but he says something to the effect of like, you sure you want to do this? Yeah, exactly. Because and- Bulba's like, he doesn't really want to fight a Jedi either. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, nah, no thank you. <laughs> and yeah, ultimately he takes him away. And then we get to see the band members basically trying to decide like what they're going to do and... Jay wants to go after Boba and to get Geezer back, but the rest of them are like, yeah, I don't think we should. It's too dangerous. And then you get this adorable moment where V5 plays Mm. back to them the audio of basically their first band session. Yeah, that's so cute. Yeah, and sort of... It kind of like two things about this moment. It's like, one is... It is getting back again. If we're talking about like the Star Wars y parts of all this, is drawing on like you get a little bit of that found family element mm-hmm. there. With oh, this look, band. it's right in my notes found family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then also, like I'm thinking about this again as like parallels to the stars we know. Like it's reminding, it brings to mind from The Last Jedi R2 playing the Leia hologram. Mm-hmm. Emotional manipulation droids. Here yes. We go. exactly it works it does work in both cases it works how dare you but also let's go (laughs) yeah perhaps a cheap move as luke calls it in both instances Mm -hmm. but yeah it works and basically they decide that they're going to go after him and we get transport where else to boon to eve (laughs) yes that was great. I mean, of course, we saw that in the trailers, but that mm-hmm. was it was great seeing Boon to Eve again. Yes, a good sweeping shot too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, it was it was a great shot, and yeah, we get to see there that has now been it is no longer at least at the moment being used for pod racing, but instead for <laughs> public executions. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, everyone's there. <laughs> Everybody's there. <laughs> yeah, it's like wow, what is happening? <laughs> And basically, Geezer's about to go meet his maker, mm-hmm. and the band shows up, and basically, Jay tells him that they got Jabba to let him let them do a performance before, yeah. <laughs> before they killed him. Yes, at gunpoint. I mean, everyone is at gunpoint at this situation. <laughs> yeah, and they basically go up to the stage in front of this big crowd mm-hmm. and they perform this song. And then there's a great moment with Jay where he like takes out the lightsaber mm-hmm. hilt and everybody immediately like Tenses gets up. their hackles up and he's like, don't worry, it's just a mic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's his and, weapon of choice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they start performing this song. Now what's interesting is there's other moments in this later on visions that we can sort of talk about but for me like this was one of the first instances of a like dub sub disparity yes at least Mm -hmm. that was noticeable Mm -hmm. yeah because i watched all of these through originally in the english language version and then as i've been preparing for this episode i watched these first four in the japanese Mm -hmm. and for this episode like i for me i felt like the sub version of the song is catchier yes i think so too yeah, I like it more in the original Japanese mm-hmm. than I do in the English language version of it. Yeah. The English language version seems a little trite, mm-hmm. although it totally would be a pop station hit. <laughs> yes, it totally like, would. It They would become the number one band 
in the galaxy with a song like this. I don't know if you've read as many of the books. I love the Alphabet Squadron books. I think mm-hmm. Chaz Nashatic yes. would have this in her collection. Oh my god, she absolutely <laughs> would be blasting this song. Yes, for real. Like going through a battle, blasting it, and being like, mm-hmm. yeah, I like this shit too. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think they're both they're both good, mm-hmm. but the Japanese version of it. I was much more drawn into the performance and that might be Joseph Gordon-Levin's fault. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to talk more about voice work in the next episode. This one I wasn't <laughs> bothered by it as much, but still. We, we was definitely like, will. Yeah. The next episode. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so they, they perform this song and the crowd loves their music. Mm-hmm. We get this great montage basically of, People all across Tatooine listening to this song and dancing. Mm-hmm. We get a shot of the famous Cantina <laughs> from A New yeah. Hope. Mm-hmm. We get to see Obi-Wan's hut. <laughs> yeah, wild shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're really just like, that That really felt like a moment like, we got all this stuff in our toolbox. We're just going to take out everything. Yep, yep. Use it all. We were throwing the kitchen sink at this short film, and they did. <laughs> they really did. And... Yeah, everybody is totally loves their song. And then you get the crowd there, Boonta E, basically calling on them to perform another song, wanting mm-hmm. them to play again. And Jay basically asks Jabba to mm. let Geezer live and yeah. to basically sponsor them as a band. Mm-hmm. And he ultimately agrees yep. to do that based Smart on move. greed. <laughs> exactly. Play into his greed. Yes, yeah, he is a he is an entrepreneurial man. Yes, if Geezer wants to break the hut mold and not be a gangster, at least he can make money off of him doing this. Yes, exactly. And so that's basically where the episode ends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this was a really, I was really interested to see what this episode would be because I'm not a big band anime fan. There are a mm-hmm. lot of band animes. And they're usually very feel-good. A lot of the times the songs are English. Even in the subversion, the songs are still in English. Which is why it didn't throw me too much that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was singing. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I did like how even though this episode was really cute and cutesy, mm-hmm. it still was like, there's going to be an execution. <laughs> which is very Star Wars and very anime. Right. Yeah, you still have those darker elements to it mm-hmm. with the Order 66 stuff, with mm-hmm. Boba, with, yeah, with the execution. Yeah. But like with this. cute, but. Mm. Yeah, but with this, like, candy coating of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of this almost, like, School of Rock, like, yes. Battle of the Bands thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at first I was like, Geezer should have been played by Jack Black. That would have been oh a my good God. choice. But oh. I, I liked Bobby Moynihan as the role, but I think that Jack Black would have been an inspired choice for a hut. <laughs> yes. That would have been yep. great. Yeah, playing bass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, missed opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was busy. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, yeah. Very, very tonally different from the duel. <laughs> yes. So much so. It was a... Definitely, like, they swung for the fences in a different way. They really did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So yeah, that is that's Tatooine Rhapsody. Yes. So then we move on to episode three, mm-hmm. the twins. Yes. This episode is bonkers. <laughs> yeah, I was really, really excited about this episode from the trailer. And while I do enjoy it, it is in the bottom of my rankings. Mm. It goes a little bit higher when it's in the Japanese. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah. For real. The Japanese does add. Yeah. Yeah, that does add something to it, something to the experience. Yes, because it's a very yell-y mm-hmm. episode. And in the Japanese, for some reason, it just sounds better and more believable. And I don't know if that's because it's in a different language where I can't necessarily understand the nuance in the words. It just, the voice actors did a much better job with mm-hmm. it. And I love Alison Brie. I love Neil Patrick Harris. They're both too old for these roles. And they can't believably be teens slash 20-year-olds, as other voice actors could do. Like, Tiffany Grant would have been amazing in this. And she's an, an older voice actress, but she could have done it. She played Asuka Langley Soryu in the original dub of Neon Genesis Evangelion, who is very much what this character is based off of <laughs> for real the entire time i'm like tiffany grant should be playing this role <laughs> i don't know why she wasn't offered it <laughs> n- n- now that i'm thinking about it i did not think about this before i sat down basically to record this and to do my notes mm-hmm. is that like again speaking from my very you know limited experience with anime like this episode does actually have some dragon ball vibes to it yes overpowered characters big fight. Yeah, I thought about immediately when you said about, like, how yelly it is. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A big face-off between good and evil. <laughs> yes, exactly. And since you... I had it in the notes a little bit later on, but since you already mentioned her now, I'll sort of bring this up now. Mm-hmm. If there's anyone listening who has watched Vision so far but has not watched the English version of it, mm-hmm. Alice and Bree's performance... <laughs> It's something to behold. It is wild. I mean, I think in a different context, it could have been very good. But for <laughs> this character, it did not fit her. She just goes like 110%. Yes. Whoever was directing her was like, push it even farther. And then didn't stop her. <laughs> and she's fantastic. Alison Brie is an amazing actress. Yes. And just, I... I just could not, <laughs> could not do it. It's like, I was like, Am, and her name is Am, Master Am, and her mm-hmm. brother is Kare. I just did not believe <laughs> when I watched it in the dub. <laughs> and I feel so bad because I do love her. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, this is, you mentioned this being one of your most kind of anticipated episodes. Mm-hmm. Based on the initial trailers. It was for me also. I think I might rank it a little higher than you. Like it might be more in the kind of middle mm-hmm. for me. But yeah, definitely when I saw the initial bits of it and then when we got the premise of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely grabbed me as one of the ones that I was most interested about. Mm-hmm. Like you're doing a, a Star Wars what if 
Leia and Luke had been born on Exegol to the dark side. Yeah. And I would have embraced that completely. (laughs) (laughs) So the episode opens, we get this shot of the Gemini class Star Destroyer. Which does look really cool. I I love that Star Destroyer, Mm -hmm. basically conjoined by this cannon, essentially. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, we're introduced to these twins, Am and Kare, and we get this premise that they were born of the dark side Mm -hmm. for the purpose of destroying the Republic. And we get this little montage of their creation. And this is the first where we get a lot of this in this episode, like a lot of sequel trilogy nods in this episode. A ton of them. So we get a brief shot, for example, of like the Sith cultists from Mm -hmm. Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And we get to see basically this Star Destroyer is nearly operational and it's going to be used to basically destroy the Republic. And this big cannon in the middle is powered by this kyber crystal. And we get the kind of initial shot. We get to see Am at first and we get to see her in her in her suit. And it's got major Darth Vader vibes. <laughs> yes. And Kari was very... Kylo Ren, yeah, as Am is very Vader, yeah, very, like particularly like the old concept Vader. Yes, the samurai version, yeah, which is the original concept art. Everyone Asian influences. Yes, exactly. <laughs> At the beginning of the episode or beginning of our discussion, you mentioned you know you kind of tease this about yourself, but I will be the first to volunteer to go to horny jail. And that is Am can step on me anytime. Yes. Oh my God. Absolutely. (laughs) Those heels. There are a lot of heels in this. Yes. In this show. I think um, the duel, the twins and the village bride have the best use of the heels. Am is hot. Yes. Like, holy crap, she is hot. When her mask breaks open, and I was waiting for that, I'm like, yep, she's got to have the long flowing hair. (laughs) (laughs) So perfect. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, we find out that this Star Destroyer is basically ready to go. She is on the bridge of her Star Destroyer. Mm -hmm. She's got her her trusty protocol droid there. Yes. (laughs) Who raised the two twins. (laughs) And... Then they come to discover that it's not working. Mm -hmm. And she kind of looks across the chasm and she sees that the bridge on the second Star Destroyer is empty, that her brother Kare is gone. Whoopsies. Swivel chair is empty. (laughs) Yes. And it is then that we get to see that he has basically gone to the core and basically stolen the kyber crystal mm-hmm. to sabotage the weapon. And he's basically trying to run off with it. Yes. Which was a really cool shot from the beginning of the short film. When you saw the masked figure approaching and you're like, Ooh, this is a bad guy, but that's not am that's Kari. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a great twist that they do with that. Mm-hmm. And so he basically tries to flee with the crystal. He gets mm-hmm. stopped by some stormtroopers. Yeah, good try, guys. And, yes. And there we get another that there we get our second sequel trilogy nod, which is him stopping the stun bolts. Mm-hmm. A la Kylo at the beginning of Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. And 
then ultimately he gets to a hangar where you get there's like a whole bunch of different ships. We get to see like the Imperial ships. There's mm-hmm. some like rebel type ships there too. And he wants to flee on an X-Wing mm-hmm. and he gets stopped by Am and a bunch of stormtroopers. Mm-hmm. And I love the exchange where she talks about like, where are you going to go with that? And he says to a galaxy far, 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 far away. away. Yeah. <laughs> Like that hits a little too on the nose. (laughs) (laughs) Needless to say, everyone, like almost every single one of these episodes has, I have a bad feeling about this. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. And yeah, so she's basically questioning him about like, you're going to turn this over to the Republic. What are you doing? And he ends up hopping into an X-Wing and tries to take off. And he doesn't care about the Republic or the first order the empire doesn't care yeah exactly yeah he's just trying to get away Mm -hmm. from there and we learn a little bit in a few minutes about what his motivations are Mm -hmm. and so he tries to flee in an x-wing but am stops him with the force grabs his ship and kind of pulls it back again sequel trilogy nods there reminiscent of the of the troop transport flipping ray and kylo great choice Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, there, there, are, there are a few, there are a couple more Ray and Kylo nods mm-hmm. to come in this episode, and so they basically end up having this confrontation like on the Star Destroyer, wild, in absolutely space. bonkers situation <laughs> with no one wearing respirators except the protocol droid. <laughs> I mean, it's visually, it is stunning. This is probably one of the most beautiful. Yes. Of all of the short films. And yet, <laughs> they're out, out in open space. <laughs> Unless this Star Destroyer has some sort of field around it where it's creating atmosphere, they are in space. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they really just said, like, fuck it with, like, the physics stuff. Yes. <laughs> like... yes. Which Star Wars does quite often. Yeah. Yeah, this episode gave up, like, the last pretenses of Mm -hmm. attempting to make this make any sense Mm -hmm. to, like, the way that we understand things to work. (laughs) Yeah, so they end up having this fight on the Star Destroyer, and there's a moment where Am kind of goes for the Kyber Crystal, Mm -hmm. and then Kari kind of grabs it, and they're basically holding it on. Holding on to it with the force. Tug of war. (laughs) Yeah. They're having the tug of war and then it ultimately breaks apart. Mm -hmm. Again, like Rain Kylo, Last Jedi Mm -hmm. with the Skywalker saber. And then you get this really interesting like brief interlude where the action kind of stops. And they're in this. It's hard to say exactly what they're in, but they're in some sort of. Anime mental space. (laughs) (laughs) For real. This happens a lot in anime where a character will go into some sort of mental fugue state where we don't know really how much time is passing on the outside, but you're inside their head for a modicum of time. And this so happens to be both of them in this space together. Like maybe it's a twins thing. Right. Yeah, it could be. Again, this is... You're once again proving why you were the, why you were a great guest for this episode because I did not know that about that as an anime trope. Oh yeah, you should watching a sports anime. It takes like <laughs> ten episodes to get through one game of a sport <laughs> because you're doing all of the mental gymnastics of what the players are doing in their heads. 
while they're playing this game. <laughs> oh, God. Which is actually very good. I really like Haikyuu, which is a volleyball anime. And yeah, you're in the players' heads as they're trying to make plays. And you're like, this happens within a split second in a real game. And 10 episodes later, <laughs> they finally <laughs> score a point. <laughs> oh, goodness. And so, yeah, so as they're in this in this mental state, we learn that Kare basically stole the crystal in order to protect Am. Right. And that he had had this vision mm-hmm. that if she used the crystal, she would die. Mm-hmm. And Am ultimately doesn't believe him. Right. You or should, doesn't you know, care. She, yeah, or doesn't care. Yeah, because she even brings up the fact that She's ready they, to die. Like, yeah, that she's ready wow. to die, that they were basically created by the dark side to conquer death. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, she decides to use the crystal mm-hmm. to basically empower herself. And mm-hmm. we get to see it basically kind of the way it kind of transforms her. We get, she gets like the, the six robotic arms or however yes. many arms it is. Yes. And with the extra lightsabers, we get the lightsaber heels. Yeah, the lightsaber heels were wild. I like yes. the whips. That is yes. very, there's a High Republic character who has mm-hmm. more like a whip style lightsaber. That was really cool to see. The heels was wild. <laughs> <laughs> very, once again, anime with like, Studio Trigger, who did this episode, also did Kill la Kill, which is a very female character empowered anime and it just reminds me a lot of that. <laughs> the woman is the badass fighter. Like she is towering over Kare in this yeah. entire thing. <laughs> I'm really amazed that he won with <laughs> how empowered she is. Yeah. So as we see, basically, yeah, she gains all of these powers and abilities through the crystal, mm-hmm. but it is also kind of starting to overwhelm her. Yes. And so Kari's realizing, yes. <laughs> so, so Kari sort of realizes that he needs to do something in order to save her, mm-hmm. in order to basically destroy the chunk of the crystal that she has that she's using to, to power herself. And what he decides ultimately to do is to take a piece of the crystal and put it into his own lightsaber, mm-hmm. which is another great little shot there where he's kind of yes. loading it. Yeah, that looks very cool. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> my, my, ne- my next note like summarizes but it's just like so bonkers because it just says Kari slices apart a Star Destroyer with his lightsaber <laughs> with an X-Wing <laughs> and somehow doesn't kill Am when he does it which is what happens but it's like if you were reading this out of context you'd be mm-hmm. like what is happening yeah, once again visually stunning very Holdo maneuver esque mm-hmm. but no <laughs> Even within the realm of Star Wars where crazy shit happens, this is wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thinking now about how, like, there's always... Again, I remember this was particular with Rebels, mm-hmm. but with when people were talking about the extendable lightsabers. Oh, God. <laughs> like, the lightsabers where you could change the height of the blade. Yes, I like <laughs> where he's that. making, like, the giant sword. Yeah, that is a little outside of the changing it for your height. <laughs> <laughs> And at first I thought he was going to power like the X-Wing's weapon system with the saber because they do that in the High Republic. But then, no, they totally go in a different direction. 
like wow yeah <laughs> and i just i just had no idea like how to <laughs> go about watching it like i was just very confused but also like yay this is very beautiful but what I, I would have loved to have been in the, a fly in the writer's room for this one. Yes, exactly. As they were brainstorming these ideas. Like, Should what they, got left on the cutting room floor? Should they be episode? wearing spacesuits? Fuck it. No. <laughs> no, we want to see their faces. <laughs> Which a lot, like, the um, it gets sacrificed some certain animations in anime. Like, how the hair falls over characters' eyes, but they make it, like, translucent so you can see their eyes. And their facial expressions like through their hair. And you'll notice that in other animes too. Where like in Haikyuu, when they're playing volleyball, they will eliminate parts of the net. So you can see characters' eyes. (laughs) (laughs) And faces. And eventually you do get used to it. It's it's something you'll notice like that's kind of a broken glass situation. (laughs) Or it's like once you see it, you can't unsee it. Right. I'm sorry, everyone. But it's still, it looks really cool because you do want to see their facial expressions because they are very beautifully animated. This is very beautiful. Yes. Yeah. It may be among the most visually pleasing episodes of Visions. Mm-hmm. Yes. In that way. I'm now going to have to, when I go back to revisit this, I'm going to have to look for that, mm-hmm. the, the hair thing that you were just talking about. Yeah. It looks like you can see right through it. <laughs> yeah. Because I did not clock that, but now I'm going to have to look for that. So anyway, yeah, he slices through the Star Destroyer, as you, you mentioned about, like, the Holdo maneuver nod there. Mm-hmm. We get the same kind of look there. Mm-hmm. And then we basically cut to Kare. He's crashed his X-Wing on some desert planet vertically. <laughs> yes, it's sticking out of the sand. Like, yes. it went ass over tea kettle into the sand, basically. <laughs> Don't know how he's alive, but he is. <laughs> And he's basically looking out to the sun again in a very kind of classic Star Warsy way. Mm-hmm. And he's basically talking about that he's still holding on to this hope that his sister is out there, that she's still alive, yeah, and that he's going to be able to figure out basically her. the mystery behind their purpose and why they were made, right? And, and that's where the episode ends. Yep, another one that ends like what. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> like, excuse me, I would like to know more, which is what they're doing. Like, they want to get maybe more funding for a season two, which mm-hmm. I would not be mad about. Me neither. Like, I would like to see him resolve things with his sister. I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah, this is just such a wild episode. It, yeah, I I remember when I f- I've watched it the first time, I paused after this one and was like, wow. <laughs> like, I need a minute. <laughs> To digest what just happened. It's, yeah, it is. It leans hard into the bonker side of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And the bonker side of anime. (laughs) Yes. Because let's face it, some of anime is crazy. (laughs) Some of it is insane. This is like some JoJo stuff happening. (laughs) Wow. Wild, wild shit. Yeah, so we, you know, so far we've gotten three episodes with mm-hmm. three decidedly distinct aesthetics, mm-hmm. which, you know, in, in ways is good because it does kind of create this sort of buffet. Yes. Where people can gravitate towards particular episodes based on what their own 
tastes are. Yes. What their visual aesthetic is. Even though yes. it is very, like, still Jedi-Sith dichotomy, we still get enough differences within the Jedi and the Sith that you're getting different stories. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you're getting those stories presented in different ways. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very jarring to, like, watch them all back to back to back in that way, yeah, particularly the these ones. <laughs> the binge experience was strange. <laughs> yeah. I. It is very interesting, the choice to release these all at once. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a function of length. I'm not sure either. Maybe or, because it wouldn't fit within a chunk of time. But it's yeah. not primetime television, so they don't have to worry about that. Yeah. I. Uh, you know, do, yeah, doing the doing the lump drop as opposed to doing let's say a week by week Mm -hmm. the way that they have been doing with a lot of the disney plus star wars content Mm -hmm. i think in some ways i mean on the one hand it's nice to be able to like you know because we're all greedy we want the stuff so it's nice to have it all Mm -hmm. but then yeah you do wonder like if we had like a week to digest the twins (laughs) yeah and then come back and watch the village bride be like oh okay (laughs) yes oh my gosh but yeah, so you've set up things well to transition to the final episode that we are going to be talking about in this part one of Visions, and that is The Village Bride. Yes, it's so sumptuous and so stunning. I love this episode. My first note under Village Bride just says, The Village Bride is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it is very Studio Ghibli which is Hayao Miyazaki's studio who mostly does film. And this is like Spirited Away, Princess Mononoke, the visual stunning films that he does, the kind of wistful music, the very natural setting and appreciation of nature was so present in this one. And I was engaged immediately. Yeah. When I tell you, that this episode has, as the kids say, lived rent-free in my head mm-hmm. from the first time that I watched it. Mm-hmm. Like, I am right now sitting in here. We will, of course, talk about this character more. I'm sitting right now wearing an F shirt. Oh, yes. I have her wallpaper on my phone. Yes. Like, this is the episode that, like, in my head ever since the first watch, I just come back to over and over. It's very rewarding. Like the entire thing, you can get new things when you watch it. And my friend Connie wants to cosplay as F and I am like, yes, queen, get it because she can. Yes. Like, please be F. This is an amazing character. Pretty much everyone in this is really good. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. Totally. And I'm glad you made the that you made the Studio Ghibli comparison because mm-hmm. like the, the, that was one of the things that I took away from watching the episode, which is that like it's so cinematic. Yes. Like in the way that let's say people talk about the Marshall mm-hmm. as being this thing that feels like this short movie yes. you are watching. That was like one of the things that immediately hit me about watching The Village Broad. It's like mm-hmm. this feels like a 10, 15 minute movie. Yes. Yeah, it felt like a film. Like, I, when it ended, I was like, no. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, why did they do this to us? And I really love the actress that plays F is amazing. She is the character, the female from The Boys. 
Mm-hmm. And her name is Karen Fukuhara. I love her. She is I, fantastic. Yes, I love Karen Fukuhara also. Um, I want her to be in more things. <laughs> yes, yeah. She is also, you mentioned that she's on The Boys. Uh, she was also in Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. Yes. I sort of got to know her from actually for other voice acting work because she mm-hmm. also does Princess Glimmer and she ran The Princess yes. of Power on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And she is also Kipo on Kipo in the Age of Wonder Beasts. Yes. Both on Netflix. Both absolutely delightful. Go watch them. And notice that we will not comment on anyone's voice work in this episode because they were all perfect. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. When I said at the top, the village bride is perfect. Yes. The village bride is perfect. You are correct. This is one of the most perfect episodes, short films that I have ever seen. Yes. So we get here even more Order 66 trauma. Yes. Gotta (laughs) have that Avalon trauma. Gotta have it. (laughs) Gotta have it. It is there. And so this episode opens, yeah, as you mentioned, very idyllic, very bucolic mm-hmm. kind of mountain village. And we get to see this bride and groom basically walking yeah. along this, this nature trail. Mm-hmm. The bride, Haru, she's being carried on the back of her groom. Yeah. Who's named Asu. Mm-hmm. And he like, because he has this line about like a bride can't get her feet dirty before her wedding. <laughs> right. <laughs> And we get to see basically the two of them. They're kind of being watched from the distance by, on the one hand, F. Mm -hmm. And we get to see her basically in a cloak with a raised hood. And she's got this mask over her face. Mm -hmm. And we get... Very telling Padawan braid. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes. And also her companion, Mm. call him that, (laughs) Valco. Here's where I go to horny jail. Because, wow, (laughs) Valco is a silver fox. He is amazing. He needs his own show immediately. (laughs) And he's played by Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, who I also love, who is from The Man in the High Castle. He is from Mortal Kombat. He is a that guy of Mm -hmm. so many movies and TV shows. I love him. I love Valco. Give me his show immediately. <laughs> yes, he's great. I love his little like bucket helmet. <laughs> yes, his helmet and then his sniper rifle, which we'll see later. <laughs> yes. And we have this great line from you. That, again, one of those, like one of the many aspects of the village bride that is just kind of stuck in my head from watching the first time, which is he has that line to F where he says, it doesn't suit you, that mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... It brought to mind, again, for Star Wars, not like it brought me to, to Han's line in Force Awakens. Yeah. When he confronts Kylo and he says, take that off. You don't need it. Yes. You don't need to hide who you are or who you were. Yeah. Which, because the, like, she kind of does. Like, <laughs> yes. Although take off the braid because for real, that is a tell. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because like that's one of the things that, of course, Star Wars constantly goes back to as a kind of motif, which is about masks. and. Mm-hmm showing your face and hiding your face. There's obviously the whole arc with Kylo Ren Mm -hmm. with him smashing the mask and then putting it back together Mm -hmm. with another Asian cultural technique of putting things back together with gold filigree. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the nod to Wabi Sabi, that Mm -hmm. idea, you know, you've got Phasma's whole story that's told in the Phasma novel Mm -hmm. about her wearing a mask and not showing her face ever. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame. Yes. 
Give us Gwendolyn Christie. <laughs> yes. Please. <laughs> yes. Of course, everything with Vader and all that. So yeah, that's a that, that's always a kind of recurring Star Wars mm-hmm. motif there about characters hiding or exposing their face and that being this kind of marker for you know, different identities or hiding your past or authenticity and all that. Yes. So, yeah. So we kind of go back to Haru and Asu, our bride and groom, respectively. Mm-hmm. And we basically get to see them perform this wedding ceremony. Yeah. They kind of go to this waterfall river area. Mm-hmm. And they have this ritual, essentially, that they perform. And you get to see them kind of, even along the way, they're kind of, we get to see some of their, I guess, mysticism, kind of nods of their their religion because they have this line about, I forget who says it to, I, th- I think Asu says something about like, uh, like saying to Haru about like wishing like her parents could have been there yes. to see her get married. Mm-hmm. And then Haru mentions about like how they're one with the planet, just like his yep. parents. Mm-hmm. They're and one that, with the force, the magic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about that in a sec. Mm-hmm. And then when they're at the, when they're actually doing the ceremony, they're doing the ritual, they have this, these lines that they recite together where they say, we are the sky, we are the forest, we are the river. Mm-hmm. And yeah, as you mentioned, they invoke this notion of Majina. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about that is this again gets something that ties back to Star Wars, which is this notion, this idea of the force being this thing that has all of these different names or forms or interpretations Mm -hmm. that basically we get to see all these different people and these different cultures and different individuals Mm -hmm. for whom the force kind of presents differently. Yes. And they have different names for it. Like the Lasat have different names for the dark side and the light side of the force. Yeah, yeah, we get yeah in Rebels we get the Ash on the Bogan. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, in I think it's in Legends of Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. where like he encounters a people and he's basically like talking to them about the Force, mm-hmm. and they're basically like, "Well, we know what the Force is, but we have the Tide." Yes, mm-hmm. and you got that. Uh, this is a big thing in the High Republic. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where basically we get to see how different Jedi. The view of the, the for- Force. Yeah. How the Force kind of manifests differently for each Jedi. Mm-hmm. So I liked getting some of that, like mm-hmm. deepening that Force lore and mysticism. Yes. And basically, once they kind of do this ritual, we get this moment where all around them, the memories of the planet kind of manifest. Mm-hmm. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it absolutely is. Yeah. The aesthetics of this episode are just incredible Mm -hmm. and we kind of move there and we get to we start getting to learn a little bit more about you know that kind of becomes this waypoint for learning a little bit more about the past of this planet Mm -hmm. and we get to learn that like this like the story is happening kind of in the aftermath of the clone wars Mm -hmm. and they talk about the separatists yeah, they, they talk about that. Valco has this great line where he says, that's all that war is, nothing but loss. Mm-hmm. Which, again, kind of tapping into some of the like the anti-war themes of Star Wars. Yes, even though it's called Star Wars, it is very anti-war. Yes, yeah. Getting back to basically like the fallout of war and the trauma of war. Mm-hmm. 
being a big part of Star Wars. And so basically we learn that the Separatists had left behind all of these battle droids Mm -hmm. on this planet. And then this group of raiders came along and kind of reprogrammed them. Yeah. And that now essentially what's happening is they wanted to kidnap the chief of this village that's in the story. But instead, Haru, who is his granddaughter, basically volunteered to go in his place. Mm-hmm. And so she is, she's gotten married to her husband. And then basically the next day, they were going to be taken away yep. by the raiders. Mm-hmm. And so we get this cut basically to this wedding night feast that is happening. And we get to see Valco and F <laughs> kind of just... Chilling in the background. Yeah, they try and relax a little bit. Well, <laughs> Valco does. He drinks the sake very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas F is kind of like, mm, should we be here? <laughs> yeah, I, I like that the one person comes along and like, offers her a drink. Mm-hmm. And she just like takes it, but she's also wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what we see happen is that there ends up being this confrontation Yes, at this dinner where... Haru's sister, Saku, Mm -hmm. is upset about her willingness to give herself up over to these raiders and that she wants them instead to fight Mm -hmm. back. And then Haru's basically, you know, pushing back and saying, no, this is for the best. Mm -hmm. And then basically Saku and some of her party, some of her friends kind of stomp off. Mm -hmm. The teens. (laughs) Yes. The teens are getting antsy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And then we get kind of in the aftermath of that, we get this great moment basically just between Haru and F in the forest mm-hmm. where F is kind of meditating. And there's even, oh, I, I skipped this part. It was a little bit earlier on. I think it was like right around the time of the ceremony where Valco mentions that like there was somebody in her past or, who had a connection to the planet. With her master. Her master. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we get to see, there's like a little bit of a flashback sequence there where we get to see basically her as a Padawan Mm -hmm. during the war when her master was killed. Yeah. And we get to see her in the forest at night and she's kind of meditating using the force. And then that's where we get the kind of. Oh, uh, you can feel it too. (laughs) Yeah. You can feel it too. Yeah. The The Magina. uh, (laughs) Yeah. The Magina and the force. And then that's where we get the idea of like, oh, they're actually talking about the same thing, Mm -hmm. but in different, having a different language for it. Mm-hmm. But still understanding each other. Yeah, but yes, exactly. Yeah, still trying, still understanding. Yeah, their own perspectives, their respective perspectives. And then the next morning, the raiders show up. They're led by this guy named Azuma, mm-hmm. and Haru is goes to turn herself in as was planned. Mm-hmm. And what we find out is that. They've captured her sister, Saku, Mm -hmm. because she wanted to kill the raiders. Like, she had a bunch of thermal detonators detonators with her. Yeah. I, of course, I sort of anticipated this, but I was nonetheless pleased to see Matthew Wood in the English version (laughs) Mm -hmm. reprise his role as the battle droids. Yes. Oh, my gosh. The poor (laughs) B1s. Yes. I I, I love me some B1s. Yes. They're so cute. (laughs) Even when they, they're being deadly, they're very cute. <laughs> yes, yes. I I love the B1s. So anytime we get more new content with them. Mm-hmm. I loved when they showed up in Bad Batch. Like, yes. 
anytime they show up in Rebels. Was very happy. Yes. <laughs> yes, the last battle, one of my favorite Rebels episodes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so basically Saku is about to be executed by Izuma. Mm-hmm. And he takes out his blaster and he's about to shoot her. But then F shows up and she stops the blaster bolt. And I can't remember now. I think it's it's right before all this that she's kind of watching from the hilltop and she cuts off the braid, right? Yes. That's when it happens. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was then or if it was the night before. It was. It's like when she finally rises. Like this is the rise of F as no longer a Padawan. Like she's like, fuck knighting. I knight myself, basically. Yeah. Which, badass, get it, girl. Yeah, and she takes off the mask also. And she's scarred. Yeah, even a little bit like like that that sequence there when she does the two things like it, like the other thing that it like Star Wars thing that triggered in my head was like a little bit Kanan in mm. Jedi Knight mm-hmm. in that sequence where he's cutting his hair and yes. all of that. Don't make me cry. This is not <laughs> supposed to be a crying podcast. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, that like that physical transformation, and again, the symbolism of the mask taking that off, that being the kind of her kind of stepping into her true self mm-hmm. and no longer hiding who she was. Yeah, and you know, she has this great line when she confronts the raiders, where she tells them, "You can't change the river's flow by casting a stone. Yes, but live in harmony with nature, and you'll change together." The people of this world know that well. Mm-hmm. And that's from and, the memory from earlier when they were mm-hmm. trying to catch the fish by putting stones. They weren't blocking everything off. They were just kind of trying to get the flow to go in the direction they wanted. Yeah, exactly. And I think like this is another great moment where, again, like pulling in those Star Wars motifs where mm-hmm. we get to see that, again, this is something that Star Wars plays with a lot, which is this nature technology dichotomy. Mm-hmm. Big time. Yeah, where you've got, on the one hand, these villagers who have this deep connection to nature and are very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And then you got these raiders using these battle droids. Yeah. And, yeah, again, that's something that Star Wars comes back to time and time again. I mean, most prominently, it's Return of the Jedi with the Ewoks and the Empire, <laughs> but it's... Yes. <laughs> but, yeah, it's all over the place, basically, the way that the villains are often represented by... The use of technology Mm -hmm. and the willingness to defile nature. Again, if we go back to Rebels, it's a huge part of Rebels. Mm -hmm. Thrawn. Thrawn is a big part of that. Yeah, like what we see with the way that they kind of change Lothal. Yes. Poor Lothal. Yeah. And then, of course, Ezra with his connection to animals Mm -hmm. and the Loth wolves and all that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, that's one of those wells that Star Wars goes back to time and time again, and it kind of comes back here. There there was one particular line that F says in this moment that, like, the first time I watched it, like, Mm. it was like a punch, (laughs) like, in the best way. And it's the moment where she says, Magina, may you rise and may the force be Mm. with you. Mm -hmm. Like, that, like, It's so good. <laughs> it did something so to good. me. Anime is good, everyone. <laughs> Star yes. Wars is good. <laughs> yes. It, it, it's a very visceral feeling when yeah. she says that. Yeah, that was one of those like 
damn, I love Star Wars moments. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like, sometimes Star Wars makes me mad, but right now, mm, this <sighs> is great. <laughs> oh, I love this character. She's fantastic. She Every single is. person in this film deserves to have more. Absolutely. So much more. Even like Haru and Asu and Saku, a lot of you is there, mm-hmm. which probably has a, a thing going along with it. I love name meanings. So, mm-hmm. of course, I looked up all of the name meanings in Japanese, and Haru means spring, Asu means tomorrow, and Saku means bloom. Mm. So, it's a lot of hopefulness in these yeah, people right. that live on this planet. It's all about renewal, and we live on, and whether it's through Majina or through the Force, which is basically the same thing, they're all about continuing on and renewal and the raiders are disrupting that kind of natural force element which means they're gonna get taken out (laughs) yes and yeah they get taken out Mm. in spectacular fashion her heels once again (sighs) amazing (laughs) i just i wrote in my notes here because i didn't like have it pull up i wrote the heels and then in parentheses and just wrote fire emoji (laughs) (laughs) yes I see you wearing those Chanel boots. Like, yes. You go F. I love yes. it. <laughs> yeah, the fantastic, the fantastic heels, the way that they kind of like activate. Mm-hmm. And then she she busts out the, the yellow lightsaber, like the katana yes, lightsaber. The sentinel. Oh, <sighs> yeah. So oh, I didn't even think about that, but you're so right. <laughs> like she's a protector mm-hmm. of the force and the Jedi. And that's what she was meant to do. And that's when she casts aside the mask of being in hiding. And Valko's like, yes, embrace it. <laughs> yes. So you've got, on the one hand, you've got him at, on the hilltop, basically. The sniper. Taking them out. Yeah, the sniper taking out the battle droids and the other raiders. And then you've got F on the ground. And she basically deals the, the kill blow to Azuma, where she does basically like the, again, kind of like, Again, I know there's something else like an anime trope, which is the like slicing through the person. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she takes him out with her lightsaber, and basically all the the battle droids are taken out. Their their ship is destroyed, mm-hmm. and yeah, the raiders essentially flee. Great use of that helmet. <laughs> yes, I was not expecting that. <laughs> that was a great moment. Whatsoever. Yes. It's like, he just chucked his helmet. What's that supposed to do? Oh, (laughs) I see. It's like, "Mm, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And after that, basically, yeah, the, you know, the villagers, it sort of ends a little bit like the duel, but in a much sunnier way. Yes. This is like a very heroic moment. Whereas the Ronin is more ambivalent and we're not really sure how we should feel about it. This is like pure hero moment. Yes. Yeah, and Valko exactly. stays and helps yeah. him lift logs and stuff. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> of course he does. <laughs> yeah. So Valgo sticks around in the village and then we get to see this final shot of F basically going into her starship and mm-hmm. leaving the planet. Yes. And that is where the village bride ends. Ugh, I want more. I want more. Oh, this, give me. Oh, this was the first episode where I really was like, this needs more. The yes. first three, I was like, yes, I want more of the duel. I'd like to see the twins continue. Tatooine was more of like a contained 
Mm-hmm. But this one, I I wanted way more. Yeah. Like two and a half hour movie. <laughs> yeah. And you're right. Like all of the characters are compelling in their own particular ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, of course, I want more F content. Yes. Absolutely. I do. Yes. But yet, tell us more about Valco. Tell us more about the villagers. Mm-hmm. Tell us more about Saku and Haru and all of them. Yes. And so many strong female characters, which mm-hmm. again, I love because sometimes anime tends to forget about that. <laughs> Although there are very many badass female characters in anime. Sometimes, especially in shonen anime, which is like the young man anime, which are the most popular, which is right now, like My Hero Academia is probably one of the most popular Demon Slayer, Jujutsu Kaisen. Their main protagonist is a man, a young man, usually from like ages 14 to 16 and the female characters are more supporting characters. Mm -hmm. Whereas in this, I'm like F is obviously who we're supposed to focus on her and Haru. Yeah. And it's titled the village bride. So it's like, we're supposed to pay attention to the female characters. I love that. Like give us more of that. Yeah. That's a really, that's a really good point. The way that they're just centered in from the jump. Mm Mm-hmm that you're immediately cued in just even from the title Mm -hmm. to know that the female characters are the drivers of the story. Mm -hmm. I just love the village bride. (sighs) I do too. I could probably talk for hours just Mm -hmm. about this episode, the use of color, the use of music, the use of the force, like the naturalistic view that they took. This is um, Kinema Citrus is the studio that did this one. And they're kind of an offshoot of Production IG and Bones members. So these employees branched off and made their own studio. And Production IG and Bones are known for making very beautiful anime. This is kind of like, do you remember watching like Land Before Time and American yes. Tale? Mm-hmm. That's Don Bluth breaking away from Disney. This is Kinema Citrus is kind of breaking away from the bigger anime studios. So I'm really glad that they got to showcase what they can do in Star Wars and with Disney. Like, I want them to do more just from seeing this because I haven't seen any of their other anime. I looked them up and was like, none of the titles were super familiar to me except for maybe one. So now I want to see more of what they can do just from seeing The Village Bride. Yeah, I I agree with you. I'm totally with you there. Yeah, I I would love to see them. Not just continue with this story, although, of course, I would like to see that too, but also develop new stories Mm -hmm. sort of in that same aesthetic. Yes. It's just stunningly beautifully animated. Loved it. Yeah, me too. All right. So this kind of wraps up part one of our visions conversation. Before we kind of close out, do you have any kind of final thoughts on these four any in particular anything that you weren't that you didn't sort of get to say at any particular point Hmm. um i'm trying to think a lot it's very star wars and very anime where a lot of the themes in these episodes not necessarily the duel so much but the other three it's a lot about coming of age yeah and coming to terms with who you are yes Kare in the twins talks a lot about self-determination versus fate 
and it trying to push off this forced fate that they were put into. Mm-hmm. And I think that deals with every single one of the shorts here, even in the next section we'll get to, this has a lot to do with it. Like the duel, he was probably raised as a Sith because he seems fairly young. Yeah. The Ronin character. And very obviously he's kind of disillusioned <laughs> with how he was raised. He's like, actually I'd prefer to have been a Jedi, even though they also sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I could deal with that. But then every other one has more youthful characters who are trying to come to terms with who they are, how they want to represent themselves. Um, in Tatooine and Rhapsody, they kind of throw off, Jay throws off his Padawan slash Jedi roots and embraces who he is now. Yeah. Which is nice to see. It's usually the opposite. We usually see characters like F who are in hiding and mm-hmm. who embrace their Jedi selves more. Whereas Jay is like, I can save my friend by not being a Jedi. Oh, that's a really good point. Another refreshing way to look at it. It, it. I say that like the Tatooine Rhapsody and the twins are two of my lower tiered mm-hmm. shorts, but they're still really good. This is, it's the pizza argument. Like all pizza is good. Yes. All Star Wars is good. <laughs> all of Visions is good. These just happen to be not as close to my heart as some of the other ones, but there are still really good messages here. And Jay is a really cute, adorable character who uses his brain, unlike some Jedi, (laughs) (laughs) in order to save himself, his friend, his band. Like, he saves his found family by not fighting. Instead, they embrace who they chose to become. There's, like, two droids in the band. Droids aren't supposed to have self-determination, and yet here they are in a band. Right. And I just like that message that Star Wars puts out there. Like, yes, there is the force. Yes, there are visions. Yes, some things may seem determined by fate, but that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Like, just because there's a prophecy doesn't mean you have to follow it, Anakin. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, even, you know, in Tatooine Rhapsody, like, their whole song there is about that, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. about that notion of like being yourself and kind of determining who you are. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. And I think you're totally right about like that being this thread through those four episodes. And it'll come back of course, in the back half as we talk about it on the next episode. Mm-hmm. And I think obviously another big part, a kind of theme through all these four. And again, shows up in other ones too, is, is this kind of air of an aftermath or a fallout. Yes. Like in all of these, we're seeing stories that are taking place as a consequence of something that has happened off screen. Yes. Which is usually how great stories start. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. We have, we have the backdrop of the Clone Wars in both Tatooine Rhapsody and the Village Bride. Mm -hmm. In the twins, we get a sense of, okay, this is like post Rise of Skywalker Mm -hmm. kind of there. The duel, I kind of talked about the sort of timelessness of that, so we don't really know. We do get a sense of, like, because we get the the shopkeeper kind of telling us, like, oh, these are remnants of some sort of... Imperial. Yeah, imperial rebellion uprising remnant Mm -hmm. thing. So there's a bit of a nod to that, but we can't tie it as well to, like, particular Star Wars events that we know. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so we're seeing all of these characters having to grapple with these things that have happened in the past. Yes, which, again, I think 
is something that ties these together. And I think it's something that makes them quite compelling is these nods to this past that we don't know much about. We don't really right. know where they came from or exactly what happened to them. And that makes it more intriguing. Yeah. And that makes you want to know the backstory, even if we don't necessarily get it, that propulsiveness that comes from the past is mm-hmm. usually what makes a story good, especially hero's journey stories with the original trilogy. You have Luke who is trying to unshoulder the burden of being Darth Vader's fa- like son, even though he doesn't mm-hmm. know he is. Obi-Wan still chooses him. Like he chooses Luke instead of Leia to shoulder the burden of the past. And he doesn't even know about it. Yeah. Which is kind of rude of Obi-Wan. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. And that's something, you know, you mentioned a new hope. That's something a new hope does really well, which is just like the peppering, like you fought in the clone wars. Mm-hmm. Like, What's the Clone Wars? Like, yes. It doesn't tell you. The Imperial Senate, like the Old Republic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't just tell the, you anything. Yeah, they give you these little, okay, like there is a kind of galactic past, mm-hmm. but, then, but then they don't go into it. Right. There's no like dark night of the exposition yes. that happens in the original trilogy. It feels more like it's organic and is happening mm-hmm. while you're watching it. And I think now, like with Visions 2, it was nice to break the mold of star Wars because we're so ingrained in it and what we know about it, that we can almost guess certain things that will happen Mm. because we're so attuned with the tropes and with the ideas that go with star Wars. And I think that's why the last Jedi was so intriguing to me because the Holdo maneuver and a lot of other things that happened in that movie, broom boy at the end were things that were surprising. Right. I know a lot of fans don't like that as they think that they want to be surprised when in reality they do not. (laughs) (laughs) And I enjoy being surprised. I love a trope. Like I will embrace a trope wholeheartedly, but when it does surprise me, I also like that. And I think visions was really good at doing both. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you there that you do have episodes in here that, in a little kind of last Jedi way, like it zigs where you think it's going to zag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it kind of, it, it takes you down the path of thing like, okay, here's this familiar thing that you know, mm-hmm. but then we're going to yank you in another direction. Yes. Yeah. That is very much to its credit in mm-hmm. that regard. Everyone watch visions. <laughs> yes. That, that is the moral of this two parter. <laughs> go watch visions and go watch both versions of visions. Mm-hmm. Watch it both in the English dub version and watch it in the Japanese subtitled yes. version. You'll get a different feel for what each voice cast brings to the table. Yeah. It's Ex- kind of like yeah. Squid Game now. Like, please don't watch the dub. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas in, in Visions, yes, please watch the dub because some of the voice acting is fantastic. In some other things like Squid Game, just watch the subtitles. <laughs> please. So to close out this first part of our Visions 2-parter, I'm going to ask you the thing that I ask every Mm -hmm. guest first time on the show is to recommend a piece of Star Wars media for the listeners to check out. Again, that can be books, comics, TV shows, something from canon, something from Legends, whatever. Okay. Okay. Well, obviously watch Rebels. Yes. <laughs> I will forever and always plug that. 
But I also like to point out more little known sections of Star Wars, particularly legends. There are a lot of people who have only seen the movies or who have maybe dabbled in the TV shows a little bit. If you really like Star Wars, if you like sci-fi, try the books. One of my favorite Star Wars novels is Outbound Flight by Timothy Zahn. It is one of the few Star Wars books that I almost threw bodily through across the room because I was so mad (laughs) at Timothy Zahn. It's one of the Thrawn novels, even though he's not necessarily the main character. It's connected with legends and is slowly being connected with canon, very slowly, with the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy, which the last book will be coming out in November. And basically read every single Timothy Zahn Thrawn novel. (laughs) I would suggest all of them. He's a really talented author. I was very skeptical to start reading Star Wars books. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, COVID, I can't do anything else. Here we go. I think I read about 60 in 2020, 60 Star Wars books. And out of all of those, (laughs) I know, I went, I did New Jedi Order, which was a chore, (laughs) which is 19 books. So that's a lot, a big chunk out of there. But yes, I would say Outbound Flight, Thrawn is one of the main characters. You will get a younger Obi-Wan-Anakin dynamic in the beginning of the book, which is really cute. And Anakin is like a 14-year-old little shit, which is (laughs) great. And then the last half of the book is basically the Titanic in space. Yeah, it is. mm, I got real mad at Timothy Zahn (laughs) with this book. But that is my recommendation. If you want to be awe-inspired and also angry, please read Outbound Flight. (laughs) <laughs> I, I have to say from having of course listened to bohemian geek studies i had a very strong inclination that your recommendation was going to be outbound flight <laughs> it i have to recommend it because a lot of people haven't read it they've read like they've read the heir to the empire trilogy or they've read the canon thrawn trilogy and they're always looking for their next thrawn fix and i'm like well if you were really mad at joris Savoth in the heir to the emperor be ready for the actual non-clone version which is an outbound flight because <laughs> you're gonna get mad even more <laughs> i promise i'll have not outbound flight to recommend next time <laughs> all right so on that note colleen thank you for coming on the show to talk about visions you will be back very soon <laughs> i will be back very soon thank you so much for inviting me to this is so fun i love talking about star wars i love talking about anime this was like the perfect podcast <laughs> yes i am so glad that you you came on you, you've already given me a lot to think about Ooh, and like new ways to think about these and i have no doubt that that is going to continue on the second part <laughs> so at this part of the episode, I usually tell you all what the next show is going to be about, but I've already been telling you from the <laughs> beginning what the next episode. So episode 28 is going to come out on November 1st, and that will be the second part of the Visions two-parter. Dun, so, dun, we will, <laughs> so we will be talking about the last five episodes of Visions. So we'll be going mm. from starting with the ninth Jedi and ending with Akakiri. Mm. So Colleen, as I mentioned, she will be back for that. 
So do tune back in to hear the rest of our thoughts on the rest of Visions. Until then, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Please rate and review the show if you're able to do so. If you're not already following the show on Twitter, you can do so at a larger view pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Demondum. And until next time, look for the force and you will always find me.